everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. This week, we're changing things up a bit. This week, we're going to be talking about heavy metal subgenres and how we define them. So on this episode, we're going to be concentrating on the new wave of American heavy metal, or in more general terms, new metal, metalcore, groove metal, and screamo. These are all my favorite genres. I know. Um, (laughs) The new wave of American heavy metal has its origins in the early to mid-90s, with groups like Pantera and Korn. Taking much of its cues from thrash metal and hardcore, the new wave of American heavy metal splintered into three distinct subgenres, new metal, metalcore, and alternative metal. So we're going to discuss all that and more, as well as give you our big four keyboard players. But first, remember to tell your friends about the show and make sure they click subscribe however they consume their podcasts. All right, so Chris, the new wave of American heavy metal. I know you're not a huge fan of some of these splintered subgenres of this particular category of metal. But there are some stuff that you like. I mean, um, there, there's plenty of stuff in there that you like. It's just... You and I were having a conversation the other day. And somehow the conversation turned to Soulfly's first album. And Soulfly's first album, I said, I didn't think it was new metal. And you said, absolutely, it's new metal. Yeah. So as far as a categorization for, you know, style of music, I think it fits into new metal just based on the fact that new metal is you know, a, a mixture of heavy metal with hip hop, alternative rock, funk, industrial, and grunge. And so when you take those elements, whether they combine in one way or another, they still fall under that, that banner of new metal. So what, 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 um, what I disagreed about with that, with you was that, you know, I'm listening to the first song on, on Soulfly's first album, uh, "Eye for an Eye," right? To me, I'm I'm listening to the only thing that that sounded, excuse me, the only thing that sounded distinctly different to me was the tribal type of uh, percussive drumming that was on there. Everything else, I mean, you're talking about guitars, rough vocals. I mean, it sounded like a metal song to me. Now. That day, but it's a South American band, right? So there's so, the, there's the tribal part of it. I get that, yeah, right. But what I what I don't understand per se is why all of a sudden, just because they're throwing in tribal drums in there, is it all of a sudden new metal? Because they threw tribal drums in Chaos AD, but that was considered you know like a classic or a classic thrash metal album almost blending into the beginning of groove metal. You know? And that's what Sepultura became because that's what Roots was considered a groove metal slash new metal album. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's it's those those are the things that throw me off because I was a fan of Sepultura, you know, I, I, I learned about them I guess around the time of Arise. Um, but I really got into them for with Chaos AD, and then Roots came out. And each one of those albums is a progression away from their original, quote-unquote, Roots <laughs> that they started with, which was basically thrash metal, almost death metal, you know, or Floridian-style death metal. Yeah. So, you know, they, they... And then now, 
they're kind of kind of back to you know the the thrashy kind of metal it's 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 weird they've been all over the place and soulfly went from being quote unquote new metal to um alternative metal to heavy metal and and now they're like extreme metal you know they're really extreme in some cases so soulfly the thing though is about the first album you listen to say eye for an eye the first track you listen to the drums and they're not thrashy at all no you know they're 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 a little bit funky and that's that's part of it is is the drums in new metal are not anything like thrash metal typically um you listen to a band like uh let's say corn um corn has a lot of um funkiness to the way they they sing uh, not not just sing but like play the music and i think that's kind of a a um staple of a lot of new metal but that doesn't always apply to every everybody because i wouldn't say lincoln park is really funky but they're definitely under that banner of new metal at least like originally in that first first you know few years of that band um pod i think is an example has a little bit of that funkiness to it there because they have that rap metal you know but you know like it's hard to describe because i this was not a genre that i really got into but i i lived through it right there was there was a huge push of this stuff when I was in, say, high school. Uh, Kid Rock was huge. P.O.D. Um, Disturbed. They were all kind of like the bands that I remember hearing a lot about. Limp Biscuit was getting big. Um, so all of these had like different elements in it, but when you really look down at, at all of the, the things that made them up. Yeah, I guess it's it to some degree you think of like a taco versus a chalupa versus a, a um, <laughs> you know, just any of those types of, of, of food. And you, you say, well, what what makes up a, a taco? Well, it's meat, cheese and uh, a tortilla, you know, and some lettuce. And, and all of them have some, kind of the same thing, but they still have different properties and they still taste different right so in the same vein and as silly as it sounds the music's the same way you know and i get that but like for instance i'm looking at this list here that that wikipedia so generously gives us of what new metal bands are out there right and you, okay. you look at something like the the numbered section there's 311 which okay they're like a lincoln park they're like a limp biscuit they're a rap metalish kind of thing right then you know under underneath that in the next section in the A's you got Alien Ant Farm. I don't know. I don't. I they to me Alien Ant Farm is is like college punky to me, you know. But I don't know all that much about them. You know, um, I go into the B section and then there's you know uh, Bury Your Dead. Hell no. To me, Bury Your Dead's metalcore. But maybe I don't know enough about Bury Your Dead. You know. So it it can also be a album by album basis to a degree, I would think. So if a band is qualified as one type of genre, um, you know, if you if you think of like what typically defines that band, they may be put into they were a new metal band, but they may have an album 
that's a different genre. Like, I th- let's think about Testament. Testament is a thrash band, and most people would say they're a thrash band. But they had a death metal album. They had a new metal album. They had, you know, some other stuff. So it's this is a generalization. You're, you're, but you're throwing. I don't think you're talking I, it, about you low being it. the new metal album, right? Yeah. See, and and I and that's one of those things where I don't look at low as being a new metal album. It, it's definitely what would not, you call it then? Well, it's definitely not thrash. I mean, it's a heavy metal album to me. But you know, I listen like the song like low. Low is 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 not classified to me as thrash because it doesn't have the thrash drumming. But it's more straightforward metal than anything else. The st- I mean, low is a low is like a groove metal album, right? So yeah, that, um, right. But but because groove metal gets lumped into. Uh, you know, it's a splintered category from all the shit that we're talking about. You know, yeah. that's one of the things that you can say, oh, yeah, that's new metal. But in no way in the world would I ever sit there and think that that testament is new metal or, or that no, even that I, album. I, un- I, underst- I understand, but like there, there are tendencies in, in certain genres. So, like, if I put a demonic up against um, Cannibal Corpse, you might say, well, this isn't really a, a true death metal album because it has other aspects of it too. But you're you're talking, you're trying to classify something in a way to sell something. That's that's really what it boils down to, is music companies want to classify something to sell you a product. If you like this, then you'll like this. And that's, and, and and that's, that's what sucks about it because, like, for instance, let's just say that. When Low came out in 1994, that's what the record company decided they wanted to try and do. We're going to try and put this in as a groove metal album. So they mm-hmm. they turn around and you say, you know, Low, the new album from Testament, groove metal's finest band. That would be the worst thing that they could possibly do, because all of a sudden everybody's going to spin their heads around and go, what what Testament is a thrash band? What do you mean groove well, metal? And they're going to be offended. Yeah. To some to some degree, well, because as fans, we also want to hold on to these definitions and define things and feel like we're part of that group. You know, there's a, I hate the term, but there's a lot of people that gatekeep certain um, certain genres, and they say like, "Well, this is this is the genre that I love, and th- anything that's not like this is not that part of that." And I and I get that. I've I felt the same way too. Especially when you're passionate about something, you want to uh, define it in certain terms because you're part of a of a club in a way. Well, I mean, for me, I learned how to accept change in music at an early age, literally around the age of ten. Okay, because I went from listening to this band that was hard rock. It was the, the the first real hard rock band that I listened to, and, and I'm talking about Kiss, and I pick up Alive 2, and I'm listening to some really intense music. I pick up some of their earlier albums, and then you know their brand new album, Dynasty, get it at your local record store, was horrible, right? But mm-hmm. horrible to who? It was horrible to diehards. When I listened to I Was Made For Loving You, I was 10 years old. I'm sitting there thinking, this is cool. Because I was just able to, you know, snap my fingers, bop my head, you know, move to the beat. And 
I didn't know any better. I wasn't confined by by genres and 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 confined by what I was supposed to listen to. And then the next song after that is Charisma. Oh no, it wasn't. It was the first song on side two was Charisma from Gene Simmons. You know, we're singing. Gene was singing it, but there was "Save Your Love" from Ace Frehley. There was, you know, "Sure Know Something." There was all sorts of different kind of songs. Every other song after that was kind of rock. All of Ace's songs were hard rockish. Gene's were in the middle, you know. And there was one really crappy song by Peter Chris called "Hooligan." Oh no, no, it wasn't "Hooligan." Um, "Dirty Living." "Hooligan" was on "Love Gun," and. You know, but I was made for love and you stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, I was a disco song. And then they pull out the elder. So I'm going from Kiss Alive 2, right, which was the height of their popularity, to Dynasty, to the, to oh, excuse me, I forgot Unmasked, which was just a continuation of, of more kind of, you know, uh, easy listening rock, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, or more disco beats. And then the elder, it turns into an easy listening album, literally legit you know, stuff on there that would you could easily listen to on a on a elevator. And then Creatures of the Night comes out bombastically. You know, and then I lived through it again, going from the eighties to the nineties into the mid nineties with Metallica. Yeah, so, I mean there's some bands that are really hard to define because they're always chasing trends or or they may be trendsetters, you know. So they they're not as easily defined. I mean, I think if you said, what is Kiss musically, I would think most people would still say they're a rock and roll or rock band. Yeah, I mean, they're going to say they're a rock band. I mean, AC, even ACDC, I mean, up to, you know, all, all the Bon Scott stuff, up to Highway to Hell, that, that's, it's, they're not playing in, a, in anything tuned down. They're not playing anything um, where it's overly crunchy because if you listen to all the guitar sounds, it's not extremely distorted. It became more distorted on Back in Black. Back in Black is, is you know, it's almost like, you know, everyone talks about, oh, it's the epitome of heavy metal albums. In reality, it's a hard rock album, but it's really, really hard in terms of hard rock, you know? And yeah. some people will sit there, well, that's, a, that's the number one metal album of all time. You know, for some people, you know, for other people, it's not. You know, and ACDC have gone back. Like, when they got to Ballbreaker, they went back to that style that they did in the 70s. But it, the, the the guitar sounds were still a little heavier, you know. So, it's, it was just very strange. But they never changed uh, the, their songwriting. For some reason, their sound changed that made it seem that way i think not changing their songwriting is an understatement (laughs) that is an understatement absolutely because they did not change their songwriting their entire career yeah i mean so you can say you know certain if you look on the list right the the list of new metal bands that we're talking about they're you you can define certain bands as fitting under there in certain at certain times but they're not just strictly that category because like limp biscuit is listed on there right and limp biscuit is new metal rap rock 
rap metal. So they're also going to be under those lists as well. But I, I mean, I would consider them new metal just because the, that category, new metal, included rap and in the time period that it came out right. in, etc. Uh, but I'm, but I'm saying it's not as simple to define. Always no, but like and, Fear Factory is on that list. But uh, you know, okay. they were they were one of the leaders of industrial metal. You know. Um, I don't consider new, uh, Fear Factory new metal whatsoever. You, you know, know, I haven't listened to every album, so I couldn't tell you either. So, you know, what 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 uh, what really? So, when this thing splinters, you know, to, so you got Corn. Corn comes out with this really, really creative alternative, and, and we're going to use that word form of metal music because they tuned down as far as they could possibly go that people could still audibly hear it <laughs> um you know and they're they're singing in a in a a very unique way they're playing funky beats like you said but it it's it's strange because then you know then they're throwing hooks in there and then they're throwing there's you know there's a different you know, he's he's singing clean he's screaming but it's all you know none of it is really using a vocal harmonizer or anything like that he's literally just doing it all by himself and he begins a trend essentially and I get that there's nothing wrong with that but I can't classify that the same as I would. Godsmack or Creed or Alter Bridge for that matter because those you know you know Creed and, and Godsmack all came out at the end of the 90s as an influence from stuff that was happening before them and I just well, I, I sometimes throw, the, go ahead no I was just gonna say it, you throw all these into the same category because there's nothing else to put them into so I think sometimes bands also would start out in one category, and then as times and trends change, they take on some of those those uh, characteristics of other genres that maybe weren't even a genre when they started. So, you know, you mentioned um, Fear Factory, and Fear Factory, obviously, when they first started, were death metal and industrial metal. But as time went on... I'm looking, and it wasn't until 1998 when they're listed first as new metal, which makes sense because by that time, new metal is becoming a thing, and maybe you can say, well, they fit into this category a little bit more, maybe on purpose, but maybe also because that there's some traits of that category that we can define it as this to sell more records or um, or just because reviewers would say, well, this kind of fits into the same vein. It does. I mean, when I think about, when I think back and I listen to the album that came out, and I think it was in 99 or 2000, uh, no, it was 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. Um, mm-hmm. they, they were, I mean, it was pretty big. And I kept listening because I was listening to KNAC, I was streaming KNAC, uh, in my office, and they were definitely ones that got played a lot. Uh, Fear Factory, and I'm trying to look up the album here. It was um, Digimortal 
Right. You know, they had, they had, it was 2001, you know, and they had Lynchpin was a big song for them, you know, and part of it was that it was metal, it was industrial metal, but then I guess because things that they were doing early in their career with, which was having rough vocals and then clean vocals, it became more of a thing that they were doing more clean vocals, you know, and, and I guess less of the dirty vocals. And it fits into that new metal category. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily, again, I, I don't see it. I guess because, and I, I mentioned this to you when we were having this extensive conversation, that, you know, growing up and being able to, to still, you know, uh, appreciate, you know, Motown sounds, funk, Michael Jackson, you know, when he went solo and, you know, then there's, there's Kiss and there's uh, Boston and Foreigner. So there's rock, all this stuff that is now considered classic rock on the station, but then you also have the classic R&B and you have classic dance stuff. I grew up listening to all that at the same time because, you know, I didn't know anything about FM radio until I was a teenager. So I was listening to WABC radio in New York. It was AM and it was a top 40 station and top 40 I mean, they were playing the Bee Gees. They were playing stuff from Greece. They were playing stuff, you know, from Michael. They were playing every so often. There was a Kiss song in there, you know, and and um, maybe I think in 1980, you know, when when uh, Judas Priest broke through with "Living After Midnight," you know, there's things like that. I listen. I heard all that. All that stuff was, was you know, influential. Influential on how my ears accept music from bands. And and so I guess, you know, when I listen to a band like a Fear Factory or I listen to something like a Soulfly, I don't say, oh, well, they're, they're doing this, so let me categorize them as that because that's not necessarily their main thing. So I, I don't feel like I have to throw them in that category. But I guess I get it that other people do because it's easier for them to do it that way. Like I said earlier, you there's three or four categories sometimes per album or per band. So, yeah, you can classify them the way that you want to if it makes it more palatable in some way. But it's it's not as simple as just that. You know, an album can be a thrash metal album slash death metal album. An album could be a rap rock slash you know, funk rock album or so, you know, there's, there's so many things that can be applied to it. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the classifications and sometimes that can even lead to you maybe not liking a band because you're like, well, I don't like that kind of music. Well, right. And and that's kind of what happened with me and metalcore, you know, because I didn't, it's weird. Me me and my association with Metalcore is very strange because I can listen to a Sepultura and a Soulfly who has <clears throat> who have rough vocals in general. I can listen to a Fear Factory for a little bit because it just gets it, it grates on my nerves after a while. And those I can listen to those things and then, you know, all of a sudden a band like Trivian comes on and I'm like, yeah, no, I can't do this for more than two songs, or or Hatebreed, or Killswitch, 
engaged. Yeah, you know, I, I just those things sometimes it's just like oh back then, let me put it say back then, I could not deal with it for more than a song or two. You know, until I be, I began to understand what it is about the music, you know, and bands like Shadows Fall and and, and um God forbid, kind of opened that up a little bit more for me because I realized, wow, these groups have some really cool riffs. They got some really cool uh, rhythms, you know, and it sounds similar to something I know, but when they start singing, it's like, whoa, this is very different. And so me and Metalcore didn't get along at first. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I had a somewhat similar experience with... with death metal was where I was listening to bands that were a little bit more accessible first, you know, Megadeth and and Metallica and stuff like that. And then I heard these really awesome riffs and harmonies, etc., from, from death metal bands. And I I tended to, to like the melodic stuff a lot. And, but it was, the vocals didn't immediately grab me because it's something primal it's something that you don't quite understand but i have also found over the years when i've listened to that kind of music sometimes i don't need to know exactly what the lyrics are immediately because there is a there is a a mood to it there's a feeling that you're you're getting through music and there's been interestingly enough there's been studies done where why do people listen to foreign language music when they don't they don't know what the people are saying and it has to do with you're, you're able to lose yourself into the music without there being a message, without there being something um, directed. The, the, the instrument becomes, or, or the vocals become an instrument in a sense. So that's why I think a lot of people can get into these harsh vocals is because they are essentially their own instrument and yeah you there's a component of you can listen to it and and hear the vocals or or hear the lyrics and follow what the lyrics are saying but there's also a component of you don't even have to sometimes you can follow the the mood that's being set with the music as well so there it's very interesting it's a little off topic but i i think it's it's uh you know something that's worth talking about too no, I don't. I don't think it's off topic because it explains some of the things that that you know, the reasons why we listen to the things that we do and accept the things that we do because, you know, like I just said, it took a while for me to accept screaming vocals. It took a while for me to accept growling vocals. It took a while for me to accept a monomarth, you mm-hmm. know, because I listen to them and it's like everything about them to me is amazing. And then he's you know. When I first heard him, he started singing. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to deal with this, you know, because I didn't want to have to, you know, uh, because I'm I'm the kind of person who, yeah, I want to try to sing along with the song. It's kind of hard to sing along with something that you can't, (laughs) but in but But, in a way you can because it doesn't matter what you say, right? Exactly. You, You know, you can you can just sing along with what it is, and I like to learn the lyrics of the songs. But there are times where just even just singing the harmony or the the melody of the song sometimes is is just all you need. So it depends, right? You know, so for for me, you know, my my exposure to metalcore came when I went to Ozfest '99, 
and I listened or heard bands like Slipknot, Fear Factory was there, um, uh, System of a Down, uh, Godsmack was there, um, and they're not metalcore, but then there was other bands like Shadows Fall and that came a little bit later um, when I went to Ozfest 2004, but in 99, like I said, it was Slipknot. I remember the bill was, the main thing was, uh, I believe it was Godsmack, System of a Down, Slayer, Black Label Society was in there, and and Black Sabbath was, I, I didn't get to see Ozzy until like the mid 2000s. So, listening to those bands, I mean, I, I literally went there, and I was like, I was all excited because I, all I kept hearing about was this band Slipknot. And they came out, and it was so insane looking to me. I'm like, what? Because I had no idea what they looked like. I had not caught a video. I had not seen MTV, which I don't think uh, they were playing mainstream videos anymore. I had not caught any visual aspect of Slipknot. And those nine guys came out on stage in the middle of the summer in those jumpsuits at 12 o'clock in the afternoon with the sun blaring down and those masks. And I was like, this is insane. Insane. And it was, and the people loved it. They ate it up. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. You know, because they were, I think they were the first band on the, the second stage. Holy shit, was that nuts. You know, and that set the tempo later on. Uh, I think um, Fear Factory played the second stage. I believe Rob Zombie was the headliner of the second stage. I'm, I'm not sure if that was the same Ozfest or not. He may have been on the main stage and headlined the second stage, another another Ozfest. But man, I mean, it was it was pretty sick to see all that, and I was like, this is different. <laughs> you know? So, and then System of Down. Wow, that was different. I I didn't know anything about them. I knew they had this song. I had heard some song called Sugar, but I had never really paid attention to it. I just knew that they had a song called Sugar that was popular. Wow, that was different. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a factor of that is like you mentioned how you didn't feel like Soulfly fit in that genre, but there's aspects of it them being a South American band. Well, System of a Down has aspects of of new metal in it but it it's also they're they're armenian american you know they're half of them i believe uh were born in the u.s and then half of them were were born in i I, maybe armenia um i i can't remember i'd have to look at the so like i guess surge was born in l.a hollywood so I may be mistaken. They may all be no. So there we go. Sh- uh, Shavo was born in Armenia or Soviet Union, and John is from LA. So, I, but I think they've lived there, etc. Whatever. So there's a, there's another aspect of when you come from a different descent. Sometimes you're going to bring in those aspects of your music into that. So even though they sound drastically different than say another band that's in the new metal category, they still have those tendencies. And where do you slot it? You know, where do you put a band like system of down that doesn't sound exactly like anybody else? I think the best thing that anyone 
can do to try to categorize it is take the elements that you hear that are similar and say, well, you know, even though this, this band is fairly unique, they still fit into this category as close as possible. Yes. Yeah, Serge was born in Lebanon. Okay. And yeah, and, and you said, and Shava was born in. Uh, maybe I was Union? looking at the wrong category. Um, mm-hmm. And Darren was born in L.A. And I believe John LA was born in LA. L.A. Yeah. yeah, so so two were. Oh no, born. actually, John was born in in Lebanon, and he grew up in L.A. So yeah, so you have different influences from different parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, they're they're. It's really weird. It's hard to categorize System of a Down because I can't even sit there and say what he does is rap to put him in new metal because they, it's it, not rap. No, no, it's no. And, and even anything that may have been remotely close to the first on, on the first album, it's just they're so unique. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I can throw them into that alternative metal category, which is, you know, you talk about the new wave of American heavy metal being this really broad category of all the stuff that happened from like 1994 all the way to 2002, something like that, Mm -hmm. right? Then all of a sudden you splinters and you got new metal and you've got metal core and then all of a sudden alternative metal splinters off and it becomes just as big, if not bigger than the new wave of American heavy metal and encompasses that many more bands. Mm -hmm. And, and that one, so for me, that category is even stranger because on my on my phone, on my iPhone, when I listen, when I categorize my music, now I I buy iPhones with 128 gigs for the sole reason it has nothing to do with videos and pictures. Sole reason is to put as much music on my phone as possible so that I can have as complete a catalog of the stuff that I like on my phone with me at all times, just in case I have no access to streaming. That is my, that is my sole reason for having a 128 gig. And I, and I hope that my next phone is a 256 and I can put even more music on there. But anyway, when I categorize these bands, <clears throat> alternative metal is a, is huge pop hair metal because I, I don't necessarily like the term glam. Heavy metal, and then I believe the other one is progressive metal, and then hard rock. Those are the rock categories I have. I think it's funny that you don't like glam, but the glam bands don't like hair. If, you know what? I, I, I accept the, the term hair metal way more than they do. <laughs> it's funny. Because, I you know, I it, it's more pop, but what, what happened was when the first time I downloaded something from iTunes. Uh, I believe it was Tesla. It came down as pop slash hair metal. And I, I said, oh, you know what? That That's not bad. And I kept it. I don't like glam because I hate, and, it, and it's connotated with it, I hate glam rock from the 70s. Okay. Or not, not, let me, hate is a, is a strong word. I don't necessarily like bands like the New York Dolls. I don't necessarily like the glammy David Bowie. I mean, there's some songs in there that, that were popular that came out. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it's cool. But I, you know, it, Kiss, as much as they were glammy, in reality, if you listen to music, it was a much harder than that. You know, same same to Alice Cooper. There was aspects of it a lot harder than, than say, 
a David Bowie or New York Dolls. And New York Dolls, I mean, to me, was more like um, New York style punkish. I guess it really it turned to me. It would it's, it's more of an influence on the new wave scene that happened in New York than anything. But you know, they had a lot of influences over a lot of different categories. I never got into them. Gotcha. Well, so, so there's these bands, and like, say, for instance, if you look at the list of alternative metal artists on Wikipedia, you have Alter Bridge, and then it, and the notes it says, also classified as hard rock, heavy metal, post-grunge, progressive metal, and alternative rock. <laughs> That's so, like, this is the only list that does that, by the way, is yeah. the, alternative, the alternative metal list. Is, and, and also, these other ones. What the but fuck the, is post-metal? <laughs> post-metal? Yeah, there's a category here. This is post-metal. It's a style of music that is rooted in heavy metal, but explores approaches beyond the genre's conventions. It's weird. Well, I mean, there's there's post-punk, there's post-grunge, um, etc. So, yeah. To me, it's, that, to me, that's all the stuff that happened after the, the, the genre died. <laughs> but there's still bands of those genres around. You know, there's still people that put out this type of music. Uh, I mean, I don't think Pearl Jam has ever really changed in style too much. They have actually. They, to uh, me, they're bit. more they're more straightforward rock band than anything else. The first three albums were much different than everything afterward. I get that, but they still have those tendencies, especially vocally, of how it's done, and they they, they still, in some some category, carry that banner of grunge in its current form. I hate that term, grunge. Well, it's and the reason being is grunge to me was more about the look than the actual sound of the music. But that's for that's that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> Cause Yeah, I mean it might have to be another conversation because I, I disagree with that, but um, yeah, that's good. That's good. We gotta have another conversation with that. But that's another day. Another show. <laughs> but th- that's that's the thing. Like so I noticed on this list of alternative metal you have In Flames, with whom we talked about before, but we we only discussed their or two of their death metal albums or melodic death metal, and that's the thing. Like it says, also classified as melodic death metal. Well, they are. If you listen to an, a current In Flames album, they are not at all a melodic death metal band anymore. So some right. of these but, bands change genres over time too. But and that that is understandable. I get like you listen to them, and it's just like Metallica. Okay, on my on my iPhone, it it all says heavy metal. Okay, it doesn't say thrash, doesn't say alternative metal. It just says all heavy metal because that's just Metallica. But because they're not really a thrash band anymore. But but people still perceive them as a thrash band because they are one of the forefront bands of that genre. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't be called the, the big four of thrash if they weren't, you know, some substantial aspect of the thrash genre. No, right. I get that. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at with that though, is you, you look at load and reload in the nineties. Okay. And that is not, 
thrash metal whatsoever. There's nothing on any of those albums that's thrash. Yeah, they're country rock albums. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> they are literally, you know, they were they were thrown into alt rock or alt metal, which that you know that's that's a, a, a that's a bastardized version of alternative metal. They were thrown into alternative metal. They were thrown into grunge, um, and which I didn't understand that either. I've and, never heard that before. Oh yeah, yeah. I, million interviews that I read in 95, 96, you know, or before, well, actually, let's say 96, 97, you know, they were talking about the album coming out. They were talking about when the album came out. They were thrown in there into the, into the grungy part because it wasn't thrash. It wasn't what they were used to. You know, you think about it, they only put out three albums of new music in the 90s. But this and is, one again, the- this is record companies trying to define something to make, to maximize sales. Right, because you're looking in hindsight. Nobody calls load and reload grunge. No, but no, maybe not at, at the time they were trying to classify them to get that market. But mm-hmm. but you know you would say hard rock, heavy metal, maybe alternative metal. There's some aspects of country rock in in load. So you mm-hmm. would you would maybe say that you know southern metal even maybe. <laughs> yeah, they're right up there with. Uh, What's what's that band? Um, oh shit! I just saw their name, Blackstone Cherry. <laughs> mm. But but I'm saying like again, there's two there's two sides of this this conversation. There's us the fans who are trying to categorize it because we want to define what we like as as listeners and what we what we say you know this is the kind of music that I like so that when you go up to another metal fan and you say like, what kind of metal do you like? Or, or what kind of rock do you like? Whatever you say, well, I'm a big death metal guy. And you say, well, I don't really like death metal. I'm more of a, of a metal core guy, you know, but, but I, the record companies are going to call it whatever they can to maximize their sales. So there's, there's, that's two different aspects of it. It was it, it was essentially was a record company thing trying to get generate sales and, and to get new people to come in. I get that, you know. But I look at this list of alternative metal bands, you know, and it's just incubus. And you look at the list: funk metal early, new metal early, rap metal early, alternative rock later, and then art rock later. They they completely changed who they were. You know, much like in Flames, although they only show them listed as melodic death metal, but alternative metal is what they are now. Hey, look at Motley Cruz on that list as alternative metal. Where the hell that came from? Got me. Those last couple albums, they're not. They're not hair metal. I, well, I think I think Saints of Los Angeles was was a return to their roots. It just wasn't a good album. Well, that's that's fair enough, but I'm I'm you know I'm generalizing too, mm-hmm. because they did shift in style. Everything after Doctor Feelgood was not hair metal in the same way. I mean, no, the Motley Crue Motley Crue album, you know, the self-titled album, um, it, it it fits more in lo- the line of what was going on at the time, like say like what was going on with Metallica even. To some degree, I mean, they were trying to be alternative metal. Yeah. Um, I guess if you want to look at, they were trying to be. I guess that would that would be the album that would put them in that category. 
But I never, you know, like I didn't look at them as a, as a, the only album that I would throw them into quote unquote, the glam section would be, um, theater of pain because that's when they were glammy. But I don't what? look at Shout, I mean, Shout of the Devil. They're wearing women's yeah, but clothing. Yeah, but I don't. I don't look at that album musically as being glammy. But it's the whole package. It's not just the music. You have to think about music is maybe different now. I don't know. But but the whole package was they're presenting themselves right on the album cover with you know them dressed as as women. I mean. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm. I'm being careful with my words because you. You know. You can't assume well, anything you need today. But at the time, that was you know, the goal. Go on. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Theater of Pain musically was more glam. The the earlier albums had more hard rock, hard edge to them. Fa- Too fast for love. Shot at the devil. And. I mean, girls, 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 they were still dressing the same way. They were still had that same kind of look. Uh, you know, Dr. Feelgood, even to that point, they were they still had elements of glam metal. But I wouldn't strictly define them as glam, hard glam metal, if you want to call it that. See, I don't know. So the, Dr. Feelgood, to me, is where, you know, where all the other glam bands, if you want to put them that way, um, that... that that and theater are the two albums to me because Wild Side and Girls, 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 of the the two big singles and videos off of Girls, 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 to me are more hard edged than all the other stuff. And so similar to some of the hard edge stuff that's on Shout, but theater and and um, and uh, feel good, that stuff to me lent itself to what was heavy metal or or pop metal at that time mm-hmm. in 80 89 i guess you could say and then 85 for theater but yeah. it's it's one of those things you know where they yeah in 94 when they came out with the motley Crue self-titled album i guess that would be the one where they were trying to be more alternative metal well they weren't wearing you know the the femme look anymore no, you know, John Crabbe ne- de- definitely had a different look than the the other guys, and then when they continued on, like when they re- reunited for what was it, Generation Swine? After that, they they didn't have that look anymore, and they had some industrial aspects to that music too. So I mean, th- th- that was that's when they really shifted. It's just they, it, in the times changed. Like you couldn't dress that way anymore. You'd be a mockery. Well, they kind of stopped dressing that way on girls. They were in more jeans and leather-ish in girls. and Yeah, but even and, beyond that, like the, the, <clears throat> you couldn't continue on with that look during that time period. Like uh, the, 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 the band that most defines leather and, you know, that kind of stuff is Judas Priest. And Judas Priest split in 1990, essentially. Uh, you know they they never technically fully did but at the same time like it wasn't until you know the mid 90s when they put out the or mid to late 90s when they put out the album with Ripper they weren't dressing the same way at that time it wasn't until after that they reestablished and it became okay to to be that that style again but glam died in you know in the late 90s 
because it could not persist. Yeah. You know, yes. Grunge made glam not okay. Yes, grunge grunge gave it a beating. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm no my my again, my whole problem with the categorization is I hate, you know, like tool is in alternative metal. Okay, I get it. But do you compare them to Three Days Grace? Do you think they're the same as System of a Down? You know, do they sound like Static X? No, it's all in that same category because it's different, and that's where where the word alternative shows up. You know, I was for me the for me the biggest thing was I my view of that time period. I didn't see all this as different categories. I saw this as metal. It was just new in NEW versions <laughs> of metal today. You know, it was, you know, this is where the the genre has uh, morphed into or evolved into, you know, and System of a Down morphed or, or not morphed. System of a Down, it was an evolution of, what came before it and all of these bands it just it just all happened at once it was just this big wave of shit that happened you know from 94 to 2000 all these bands just came out of nowhere and obviously you know record companies had to put them in some some particular category so that they could you know advertise them but for me i was listening to slipknot and i was like this is different but i didn't you know i didn't even know i Quite honestly, I don't think I heard the term new metal until the mid 2000s when I discovered the the name or the term new wave of American heavy metal. That's when I heard about new metal. Well, I mean, yeah, some of it is hindsight, but it, again, it is just a way for us to categorize what we like. I mean, you can say, for instance, um, would you say Star Wars is sci-fi? Yes. Would you say Star Trek is sci-fi? Yes. But those are two vastly different things. You know, the they fan are. bases do do not necessarily overlap. Sometimes they do, but for the most part they well, don't because they're two different very very different concepts, but they still fall under the same category because they have similar themes even well, they're though both science and then both fiction. <laughs> but Star Wars is way less science. So and that's that's not a not a discussion we're probably ever going to have <laughs> no. but but at the same time i think a lot of people can relate to it because it it is the same kind of thing as what we're talking about where you can say that metallica in 1986 was metal you can say that Motley Crue in 1986 was metal you can say that rat was 1986 was metal but None of those necessarily had the exact same fan base. No, and and like I said, I think I mentioned this to you before. If you looked up the definition of heavy metal in the dictionary and you had to put a picture of a band, the question to the fans would be, who would you put? Now, I would not put Metallica because to me, Metallica was not a pure heavy metal band. They were thrash at the beginning and then they morphed and they 
they are they're a harder edge to their form of metal than than you know other bands like Slayer's harder you know the big four the thrash to me is is what it is right so then well you look at the glam bands mm, no i wouldn't put a picture of of a glam band in the term heavy metal the one band i always come back to mentally for some reason is armored saint and it, and not because of their visual looks but because of the music that they played they didn't follow any trends ever in the music they played. They've always just stuck to what they knew, knew, know what what it is that they play. And I and and that's the way I feel about it. Is that right or wrong? No. Is it, it it's subjective? Yes. You have you could probably sit there and say, well, you know, no, I don't think Armored Saints pure metal, but it could be something else, you know. Someone could sit there and say, well, Black Sabbath. Well, which one? What year? What singer? <laughs> you know, they've had five or three. No, they've had four or five. No, they had five. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, how many singers did they have? Yeah, they had five. Okay. They had Ozzy. Ozzy. Are we, counting, are we only counting ones that recorded albums? Uh, no, because Ray Gillen recorded an album, but they never released it. Until well, they it was did. Beat. Yeah, they did eventually release they, it. They eventually released it. So I'm, okay. I'm counting so, Ray. Okay, so you have Ozzy, Oz- Dave Walker. You have um, Dio. Okay, so then it would be six. Because I, I don't. you have I've, Ian Gillen. Right. You have Ray Gillen. And then Tony Martin. There's also, I think there's one more. It was... Dave Donato wasn't he one of the singers? Am I am I getting that mixed up? You might be right about that, um, because that's a uh, did he uh, join the band? That's the question. So yeah, you have Ozzy, Dave Walker, Dio, Ian Gillen, Ron Keel, Dave Donato, Jeff Fenholt, <laughs> Glenn Hughes. <laughs> Ray Gillen, Tony Martin. I would leave, honestly, off of that list. Most people don't even really know about Ron Keel or Jeff Fenholt. I I, I would leave off Ron Keel, Donato, Fenholt. But the fan base, if you're you're a Black Sabbath aficionado, most people know about Dave Donato. Yeah, but I don't even think Dave showed up on an album. No, no, he didn't. And okay, Dave, so, Dave Walker didn't either, but there, but he was officially a member of the band, and these 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 are people that were actually listed as members of the band. And if you want to you want to really stretch out, you can say Ice T too, because he appeared on Forbidden. <laughs> well, that's just a guest. That was just a guest. <laughs> okay. But you no, know, like the reason I include Ray is because he did record an album he that, that album. ended up getting scrapped and then released as a as a as a bonus. Yeah. Um. But you know, I I just look at the the f- f- I would say five main five hundred and sixty eight members the, the, of <laughs> Black Sabbath the four main guys. Oh, and Bill Ward know. sang some songs too. Actually, now that mm-hmm. I think about oh, it, oh, Bill, mm-hmm. <laughs> he he sang at least swinging the chain. I know that. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's like Kiss. You know, they had four vocalists. Anyway, the the point being is that's that's the way I look at. Pure heavy metal, Armored Saint. Okay, 
because they weren't a hair metal band. They weren't a, a glam band, you know, same thing. They weren't a thrash band. They were not, they didn't follow any trend ever. They just came out, played heavy metal. That's the way I always looked at them. And, and, and even then, like, like when Pantera came out, I had no idea about groove metal, you know, what the hell is groove metal, you know, like yeah. I listen, I listen to, to five finger death punch now. Okay. And yes, you could categorize them as groove metal. Cause you know what? That shit grooves. It's a great, it's groovy because it's got a great consistent riff that just makes you move. It, it head makes you headbang, you know, and they've got clean and distorted vocals. So what categories that fall under metal core, you know, alternative metal, new metal, you know, but they've got such a killer groove. It's like Volbeat. So that all, all those fall into groove metal. To me, that's just metal. I mean, metal's always made me move, you know? So it's, it's, that's a groove, groove metal to me is closer to regular heavy metal than anything else. But not according to some people. Again, it's, it's, how do you narrow down a search also? Like, so if you're looking for stuff that is similar to what you like, you know, you're, you're listening to, I don't know, let's throw out Angra. You find that you like Angra as a band. So how do you define Angra? I'm asking you. Brazilian. <laughs> okay. But but I mean, what genre of metal is that? I, I haven't listened to Anger enough to, to sit there and say it, but I do know they're power metal. Okay, so Anger is a is a power metal band, essentially. Um so you you like power metal. You go looking for other types of it but you you have no way of defining this right now you don't know that they're a power metal band you just know that they play guitars and drums and and they sing high pitch songs and they have a progressive aspect to them but even though you even then you're not defining it as progressive because you don't know what progressive metal is so you go looking for other stuff if you throw on you just know that they're metal. You throw on Testament. You're probably not going to be like, wow, this is similar. You're going to be like, well, I'll keep looking. So then you go and throw on, say, Stradivarius. You go, okay, well, this is really kind of in the same vein, even though... Wow, you pulled out Stradivarius. <laughs> I did. <laughs> because because these are these are both progressive and power metal bands, but they're from two different parts of the world, too, so they have somewhat different sensibilities, too. So... But you're probably going to enjoy Stradivarius more than you would enjoy Megadeth at that point if if Angra appeals to you. So the whole point to me is to try to define these bands in that if I like this, then I'm going to like this too. And yeah, the record companies are going to try to do that to promote sales. But as a fan, I want to know of other great music that's out there that I can find that's in the similar vein of the stuff I like. Hammerfall. 
Hammerfall might appeal to you if you're an Angra fan, but it might not. And that's the thing, too, because Hammerfall also has a little bit um, harsher uh, or instrumentation. Instrumentality is a few entirely different word, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, instrumentation. So even then, it you know, power metal from different parts of the world might appeal to you different too. Yeah, I mean, you got Man of War. People put accept in that category. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot. You know, it, it is for me the this argument, this discussion, this debate that we're having tonight. Nothing's going to get settled, and it's always going to remain this way. It you know, it's an expression of our feelings that we're putting out to to kind of just have a good conversation about how we feel about certain things. And, you know, people are going to listen to to all these forms of of music and all these forms of metal and understand that it all falls under one umbrella, one band that created all this crap. (laughs) The Jackson 5. The Jackson 5. No. Um, (laughs) And even then, you know, even then, yeah, everyone credits Black Sabbath with creating that. But think about what Black Sabbath did. You know, they also had that song Changes, which is nothing of heavy metal. Nothing. Okay. But when you think about it, it gives everybody the opportunity to say, hey, well, if Black Sabbath did it, why can't I? Okay. And it's just have a straight piano and vocal song sit on my album. You know, and I play heavy metal on a regular basis. So, you know, they established that. Led Zeppelin had an album that was acoustic on one side and, you know, mostly rock on the other, which was Led Zeppelin 3. You know, and people consider Led Zeppelin one of the greatest hard rock bands of all time. And, and they've influenced a lot of heavy metal bands. Mm-hmm. So it's all it's it's all there. So and both bands started in 1969, and in, in all actuality, Led Zeppelin started first. So or released their first album first. Uh, I don't know. I believe Sabbath started what in 67. I think Led Zeppelin didn't start till 68 because they were just Sabbath super- was 68. Oh, sixteen. So mm-hmm. you know, but they started in two different areas. You know, one Birmingham, and 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 then you know. Jimmy Page and all those guys in Zeppelin were were session players. Well, not really, but John Paul Jones and him were session players. And then they brought in, they found Robert through, did they find John first and then got Robert or Robert first and then got John? Ooh, uh, I'd have I know, to look I know at Robert and John were tight. They were buddies. And that's how they got into the band together. But anyway, I can't remember. It's a... Uh, been a long time since i studied Led Zeppelin. one we're gonna have to cover at some point because i mean they may not be specifically metal but they are one of the influences that created metal yeah when you so. look look at communication breakdown and tell me that's not uh, an early early metal song you yeah know? so it's, anyway you were gonna it, say something yeah i was just gonna say like you know it's funny how most metal fans would not really consider Black Sabbath to be a metal band, but it's always listed as a metal band because they're kind of the the inspiration for metal. I think I think category 
categorizing early Sabbath, you know, um, the the Aussie years as metal, I think is not not really quite right. I think Dio was metal, but even then, like when they went with um, Ian Gillen, that's not really metal either. It's it's well, more like hard rock. So uh, you know, it's it's like it's hard to say that because when you think about um, when you you hear the song uh, "Trashed," okay, that's a heavy metal song. That's a heavy metal song. Yeah, you know, "Zero to Hero" is a slow plodding doom metal song. So there's there's aspects to it, you know. But um, Seven Star wasn't a heavy metal album at all. Jeez, don't even get me started. <laughs> it's not bad. I you know I had I had Seven Star and uh, you know I I liked it for what it was. There's a few songs that are pretty good on it. But then um, you, but you were talking about Ozzy and you wouldn't categorize those albums. But then you listen to some a song like Symptom of the Universe, okay? Or um, what's another one that came out around that time? I mean, Symptom is a pretty freaking heavy song. Yeah, but then listen to Never Say Die. Is that a heavy metal song? Right, no, it's not. Yeah, no, it's a rock, pop rock song. Yeah. I mean, sabotage had some kind of metal sound. That, yeah, because you, know, sab- you said Sabbath, Sabbath bloody Sabbath. Uh, it's it's yeah, it that was heavy into song. heavy metal. Yeah. yeah. So it, but but typically they're not quite. They're they're like the proto metal band, you know, and then they became metal because times change, and now we look at it from hindsight. And you say that is heavy metal, you know. Judas Priest, um, Rob Halford says that they were always heavy metal. Well, no, they really weren't. You know, no. those those early years, they they weren't. But in some aspect, they were the guys that defined what heavy metal was. Right, but when you look at songs like The Ripper and Victim of Changes, you know, you can sit there and say, oh, okay, I can see that as being early metal. See, right? I can't. But, e- I can't even see victim of changes really as metal. You know, I, I, I do. I do. It's or I mean, because early metal, just the same thing as if you're talking about like fairies wear boots from Sabbath, you know, or communication breakdown. It's early. It's not as crunchy, you know, as the way stuff sounds nowadays. But it, I, you know, parts of it, like for instance, when you get to the middle breakdown of victim, no, that's not a metal part. But mm-hmm. when you're listening to the, you know. You know, that riff is heavy. But the way it was played on that first album, it's not really that heavy. But as time went on and they played it with their different distortion, then it became heavier. Right. So so that's, you know, either way. You, you could take it either way. Exactly. So, you know, ultimately, this conversation is all about just maybe mentioning bands that we haven't talked about before enlightening people to some of the categories that are out there and and they know that they're out there but they may not know that certain bands fall into that category and they may they may not want to know <laughs> some of those bands fall into that category but we did mention a lot of bands that we don't typically talk about tonight that are considered metal of some way shape or form of another you know and hopefully everyone goes out there and listens to whatever bands you like and do what we do. If you're going to go out there and you want to listen to something new, just pick a band and, and pick an album and just listen to it from first song to last song and really dig into it and say, Hey, is this something, you know, that you like, if you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it again. But 
you know, and that's the, the beauty of streaming. You can just pick anything. You know, if you have a streaming account, that's great because you can pick anything, listen to it and say, no, I'm never going to listen to it again. Okay. But, you know, I've, I've we've received some comments recently about one of the last episodes where they thought that this album was going to be better than that album. And they realized, wow, this album's pretty good. You know? Well, even I had that same experience with um, when we did Ozzy, where we did um, Bark at the Moon versus... Ultimate Sin, sorry, Shot in the Dark is one of the tracks on there. Um, so I immediately said, well, that's no contest, Bark at the Moon. But then when I went back and listened to the tracks again, I was like, you know what, I'm wrong. Because I like certain songs on Bark at the Moon better doesn't mean that it's a better album. Right, so, exactly. And you have come around on stuff, too, where you never really gave it a chance way back in the day, and not necessarily for any specific reason, but just time or whatever. And then you've said, wow, this is really good. I wish I had listened to this, you know, years ago. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple albums like that. And I can't remember which ones they are, but I, ha- I'm, I know I have them in the collection here. Because I'm looking at my wall, but I was like that with King Diamond. I was I was like that with. Um, oh, I was uh, like that. That was it. We were talking about King Diamond. You know, I I got to listen to Fatal Portrait more and realize that the second half of the album is even though the first half was all the the one story, the second half had some pretty good songs on it. You know. Yeah. You know, and the same thing with um, Don't Break the Oath. The last couple, the last three or four songs or something had some really good stuff on it. So yeah, yeah you just got to give things a chance. Absolutely. There's this is that's what I've one thing I've really enjoyed about doing this podcast is that if I found a lot more music than I ever knew I that existed in some way. Like I knew the songs existed, but I just never gave them the the full experience that I have now and I found a lot of songs that that I now were in my you know main playlist that that I never listened to before. So I or just I had did an idea. And I just didn't like it as much. Well, right, exactly. And I just had an idea, and then we're gonna do an episode coming in the future. We're gonna pick two albums and do a head to head, and the, the two albums have to be in the same subgenre, but of albums that are kind of obscure from the band. And mm-hmm. put them head to head with each other and see which ones are pretty good, which one's better than the other. And and I'm only saying obscure, but there's still got to be what I would, what you or I think are a good album. So like a long time ago, one of the early episodes that we did, we did um, uh, one of those um, what what should you be listening to, or what you should be listening to. And one of the albums that I came up with for that was Extremes, Waiting for the Punchline. I thought that that album was genius. It was very good stuff, and they had great songs on it. But it gets zero love from anybody because it was the album after they they basically got dumped by the record company. They had no backing on it, but the album is awesome. And we need to find another album in that, in that pop metal glam category to go against that album so we can actually break it down and listen to it because I think people when they give it a chance, we'll realize how great of an album that is. I think we've got to a point now where I think we can stop and go ahead and end this conversation here because we can talk for a long time on all these bands and we can speak for hours on end about it and and have the same debate and continue to talk about it. And we're never going to, I don't think there's, there's, there's no winner, there's no loser. So we, we will put a nice little bow tie on it at this point 
And let's go ahead and go into our big four. And tonight, um, because we didn't have any specific band that we were talking about, we picked up big four keyboard players. We have already done drummers. We've already done bass players. We've done singers, I believe. And um, I think we're holding off guitar players until we get to a really good episode that can bring bring out something about guitar players. So we pick keyboard players, and keyboard players are not the the most popular of the bandmates when it comes to the usually the sixth guy who's sitting behind the curtain in most situations. But there are a few select bands, especially in um, Europe, where that's a lot more prevalent. Um, so I'm I'm expecting your list to be way different than my list. Um, it might be. So, um, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? It doesn't matter to me. I I could go first. I guess. All right. Why don't you go ahead and go first this time? All right. So my number three you is forgot. going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you forgot four. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go with my number two, apparently. Um, all right, so so my number four, um, I picked Don Airy, uh, the keyboardist for Ozzy Osbourne, Deep Purple uh, in the later years, and uh, Rainbow, uh, again, in the later years. Um, he was... Res- he. He played on uh, the first couple albums for Ozzy where keyboards were a bit more heavy and kind of helped create that mood of, of you know, Ozzy was this um, kind of like uh, not necessarily horror themed, but at times kind of had that that theme to him with like songs like Mr. Crowley and stuff like that where he was he was very instrumental uh no pun intended in in making the the um mood on the Aussie albums and i i just thought he was you know great guy a great or great musician and um as time went on that changed but i think a lot of people when they think of Aussie they think of you know, those early albums, those early years, and, um, you know, part of that sound was definitely Dawn. Mm-hmm. My number three is Getty Lee of Rush. And why I picked him is uh, keyboards are a huge part of their music, um, but that's a three-piece band, and it really truly is a three-piece band. And, and what's so interesting about Getty Lee is he is the vocalist, he is the the bassist, and he is the keyboardist for the band. And actually, when playing live, he does all three. And obviously, you know, now Rush is no longer together, but it's an impressive sight to see. So, I, I just, it, you know, he's not your traditional keyboardist, but it's really cool what he does, and I, I've always been impressed by it. And so, something like that often sets it apart for me too um, my number two is Jens Johansson from Stradivarius Ingve Malmsteen and he played with Dio um, Stradivarius uh, I mentioned earlier and you said I, I brought it out well that's a band I've always really liked and 
Um, the work that he did in those early albums with Ingve too was really impressive. And um, I think Stradivarius is a bit of an underrated band, but I understand it's it takes a, a specific ear to really enjoy power metal. So as somebody that's been a fan and um you know has pretty much always enjoyed power metal uh i've i've always been a fan of his work and my number one i think if you you know me you probably can guess this one is yana werman uh from children of bottom uh what sets him apart to me uh above a, a lot of other keyboardists is that this guy could go toe to toe with with uh, alexi who is one of the best neoclassical musicians in our in our lifetime? Um, could go back and forth playing solos. The song "Kissing the Shadows" is it's my favorite um, Children of Bottom song, and part of it is the the latter half of the track is just a back and forth solo between keyboards and lead guitar. It j- they just go back and forth, and the live album. Uh, Tokyo War Hearts, they did the same kind of thing where they would play off of each other back and forth. I got to see, I was lucky enough to see Children of Bottom twice when they were together and when, when Alexi was still with us. And there was such a fun aspect of, especially the first time I saw them, which were, they were the headliners, um, of they were able to play off of each other in such a fun way. And it made the show just absolutely incredible. And I always just really respected what he did and what he brought to that band because the keyboards weren't just something sitting in the back. They were a prominent instrument for that band. You know, um, I I know what song you're talking about when you're talking about the, the going back and forth. And I listened to that. And I, that, that is so cool when they do that because it, it, it wasn't just keyboard playing it was just some virtuosity that was going mm. on in that song it was just incredible to listen to absolutely um and it's funny you mentioned uh jen johansson or jen's johansson i when you said that name and you said oh he's from stradivarius i'm like wait a second i just saw that name a little while ago when i was doing the research for this mm-hmm. and i'm like where did I see that name from? And I'm looking all over my wall. I'm like, that guy is just not, and I, and I know the name from when you said Ingve. I knew it from that, but that was not where I read it. He is the current and former, or former and current, keyboard player for Rainbow. Yes. And, and I, was, I, did, I did mention that. You, you did mention that, but it was like, wait a second, Rainbow. <laughs> he was he's like right there he's actually the current guy so even though they're technically back on hiatus um he is their current keyboard player that's the thing like i listed the main bands that you might know for some of these these bands mm-hmm. uh or some of these guys i mean these these musicians but they've a lot of them have played or or been like a session musician on a lot of other stuff so you may have even heard them on other things, but not something you necessarily know as like, like Jens played on Hammerfall's No Sacrifice, No Victory, but he's not a member of Hammerfall. So a lot of these guys, or, or like more recently, Halloween released that, that Skyfall track. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he played on that one, but that's the only track he played on. 
and you mentioned Don Airy before, and he's very similar. He's played for lots oh, of yeah. different people. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, get on to my list. Um, so, I, as expected, I knew there was going to be... Uh, I didn't know his name, but I had a feeling you were going to pick the guy from Children of Bottom. So, um, my number four... And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this list here, and it's kind of weird. Um, but um, my number four is David Rosenthal, who uh, played in Rainbow from October 81 to March of 84. Um, he is basically the guy who you hear on, on all the popular um, 80s tracks of, of Rainbow. And... You know, like he's on the the specifically the bent out of shape album. He was very prevalent with the intro to Street of Dreams, and um, I forgot what the other song was that, that, that he's big on. But he, I, I, he just had a look about him. Uh, you know, Richie Blackmore put together Rainbow in 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 essentially the same way that Deep Purple was put together. It was one guitar player, one keyboard player, bass drums and vocals so very exact same setup and used the keyboards a little differently on in rainbow than um john lord was in deep purple but at the same time it was the same setup so i like dave dave had a cool look to him too um my number three and you mentioned this guy earlier when we were talking about this and Many fans out there are not going to consider this guy a keyboard player, but if they knew anything about him in the 80s and into the 90s, he was the predominant keyboard player for this band. And that's Eddie Van Halen. Um, He said it before in interviews that he used to write a lot of the music on piano and then transfer it to guitar for all the stuff during the David Lee Roth years. But he was so prevalent with all the Sammy Hagar music that they did in the 80s and 90s. Anything and everything was that was keyboard was Eddie Van Halen. And you think about how popular Jump was, and that's that's the David Lee Roth era, but you know, why can't this be love? You know, when it's love, all the stuff that was big keyboard songs, big hits for Van Halen, Eddie was the guy playing the keyboards. Guy was a master. No doubt about it. My number two keyboard player is your number four, Don Airy. Um, like you said, he played with Ozzy, he played with Rainbow, he played with Whitesnake, he recorded with Gary Moore. He was like Gary Moore's regular keyboardist, but he never really uh, toured too much or was not part of the band. Um, and he also did a couple of albums for Judas Priest. So that uh, that shows you his quality. And Don Airy is currently the keyboard player for deep purple and number one is the man who basically uh is famous for being the the member of the band uh deep purple john lord um and he was he's what every all these european keyboardists look up to i mean john lord was the man he had a keyboard he didn't make it sound like a keyboard for the most part that was another guitar in deep purple i mean listen to smoke on the water and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Uh, John, oh, yeah. John Lord was just amazing. And when Don Airy had to step in and um, join the band, I mean, he had a lot to live up to. But Don Airy is good enough that he, he was able to uh, 
to step in and, and fill the role that was left by John. And John also played with Whitesnake. He was also a member of Whitesnake uh, after Deep Purple broke up. So that's a also an interesting fact there. So um, two guys in Rainbow, two guys in Whitesnake, one Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I mean, if you didn't mention John Lord, I was going to at least, you know say something about <laughs> <Yeah>. him <laughs> there's no way you could do a keyboard list and not mention john lord <laughs> right it's just it, it, well, these lists are hard to do because we're picking four people out of a, a pool of you know so many talented musicians and bands etc and or albums or whatever and sometimes it's hard to do that so you know if if somebody that you feel is uh is better than the guys on our list or or at least mean something more to you on the guys on the, our list then obviously we want to hear about that because that is something that uh i i like to hear too is is what who matters to you who who inspires you as a as a listener as a fan as a as a musician so yeah definitely tell us if we're wrong or or you know let us know what you think of our list too absolutely well, that's our big four keyboard players for tonight, and that wraps up this episode of Debating Metal. So like always, don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, and write your local congressman and tell him or her to subscribe as well. And don't forget, you can interact with us by commenting on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can DM us as well. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or if you want, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. And remember to tune in to the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya.